All right, turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 8 through 12. It can be found on page 1015 in the Pew Bible. 1015 in the Pew Bible. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask now that you would turn our hearts and minds to you and to your word, that you might give us wisdom and insight into it as we ponder it, as we consider it, and might we apply it to our lives. That's our heart's desire and prayer this morning, that Christ would be honored in the way we live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Becky and I were having a conversation the other day about the garden that's behind our house. We hadn't planted anything yet, but I was telling her and the kids that I'm really into gardening. She's the only one that laughs. <laughs> to which she replied something like this, No, you're not. You just want to eat the food that comes from the garden. And I laughed and said, That's probably true. That's probably true. I realized that I wanted the benefits of the garden without doing any of the work. I wanted the blessings that come from the garden without laboring in it, without any effort. I'll let them plant it and water it and pull the weeds and, and then I'll just eat all the fruit and vegetables that come from it. You see, our tendency is to treat our relationship with the Lord in this in a similar way. People say that they believe in Jesus, but then the tendency is to think that it doesn't matter how one lives. It doesn't matter how they live their life. They want the blessings of God apart from any effort, and they turn the grace of God into a license to sin. But even as I prayed earlier, it is God's grace that not just saves us from the penalty of sin, but enables us to live for Him. And what we see in our text this morning is that the Christian life is not a passive life in which our conduct doesn't matter. Because our conduct reveals what is in our hearts. Our conduct reveals what is in our hearts. The tree is known by its fruit. And as believers in Christ, we are called to live a certain way toward one another, toward those who mistreat us, and it results in blessings from God. So first, consider with me our relationship to one another. Look with me now at verse 8. Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. 
Okay, so, so Peter, Peter has, has, has laid out several specific cases in which we're, they were to conduct themselves among the unbelievers in the world, right? Back in, in chapter 2, verse 12, this, this big idea on how we are to live in our unbelieving world. And, and it was a call to submission for those who were mistreated and marginalized by the unbelieving world, whether it was in our relationship to human government, whether it was in our relationship to our bosses, right, servants to masters, or within the marriage relationship, which we looked at last week. And now Peter concludes with, with a word to the entire church on how they are to conduct themselves in these various relationships before providing the motivation for doing so. So if there was ever a place that was to be a safe haven for those who were mistreated and marginalized, it would, it would be or should be the church. If there were ever a people that were to act distinctly from the society around them, it should be the church. Our relationships with one another as the family of God should be characterized in a way that is distinct from the world around us, especially when we face hostility and mistreatment. And that's Peter's point here. There are five characteristics, five traits that should be displayed in our relationships toward one another within this covenant community. We'll we'll look at these in a moment. But we also recognize that when we see this list, right, as we look through this list, we recognize that the very fact that he has to mention these things reveals that our relationships within the church might not be perfect, right? The fact that he has to mention these might say, you know what, church isn't perfect. Relationships aren't perfect within the local body, which is why he has to tell them to do these things. And this is the case as long as we live in a sinful and fallen world. We are prone to disunity. We're prone to disagreement and conflict. We're prone to pride. We're prone to selfishness. We are prone to wander. All right? We're going to sing about that later. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. And so we recognize our need for God's grace to save us from our sins and to enable us to live a life that that pleases Him. It is only by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God that He has given us that enables us to live a life that honors Him. He enables us, God enables us to display these qualities, these characteristics and traits in an ever-increasing way toward one another because we are born again. Right? So let's not forget our identity. I don't want us to think, all right, if I do these certain things, then I'm right with God. Now we are right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, and the result, what will flow out of this, is a life that pleases Him. So I don't want us to forget our identity as those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. These were characteristics and traits that were to flow out of the citizens of the kingdom. They have received God's mercy. We've seen that throughout this book. They've received God's mercy. They are born again to a living hope. They are strangers and exiles in this world. That's us. That's us if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And these traits should be evident in our lives as those who believe in Jesus. So what are these characteristics that should be seen in our relationships? What I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to 
group them in, in, in parts here, okay? So we're going to take the two outside ones together, so the first and the fifth adjectives together, and then we're going to look at the second and the fourth together, and then the third one is a separate, as a separate mark, right? This seems to be the structure. If, if you want a big term, it's called a chiasm, a big term there. This seems to be the way they're structured, one and five, two and four, and then three in the middle, highlighting the third one. So first, we are to be characterized by unity and humility. Verse 8, finally, all of you, have unity of mind, and then the last phrase, a humble mind. So this is a call to unity and humility in mind. We are to be like-minded, in which we share in in a common faith, a common goal, common interests, common priorities, a shared commitment in what they believed and pursued, just as it was evident in the early church, how they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the, and the prayers. And as they did, they, they shared all things in common. And they glorified God and worshipped God together as they cared for one another within the body of Christ. Unity of mind and, and Humble mind, having a humble mind was essential for the life and well-being of a local church. Because unity and humility reveal a willingness to lay aside one's interests and conform our individual goals to that of the, the whole. We lay aside our individual ideas and, and we commit ourselves for the benefit of the body. There is a true sense of community and commitments when you think of a, a team, a sports team, for example. As individual players will, will lay aside their, their individual goals for the benefit of the team as a whole. In fact, I was reminded of a, of a different situation uh, just a few weeks ago. Our kids are in uh, classical conversations. It's a, it's a I don't know, homeschooling group, if you will, that we do together. There's like 20, I don't know, how many kids are there? 30? 20, yeah, 20 to 30 kids, 28 kids. And one of the things that they've gotten to learn together is that they, they learn this, this orchestra song. All right, so they learn this orchestra song. The, the children are divided into five groups, five different sections, and each group represents uh, an instrument of the orchestra, this can be quite entertaining to, to listen to them sing their various parts. Each instrument is introduced, and then they sing a solo. They sing the solo, and then they're joined by the other groups that have already sung. Right? They're all singing different parts. Right? What's the goal? To provide a nice, harmonious sound. To provide an orchestra, right? What happens when the children do it? Well, if they want to be the loudest, which one day I was listening to them and could tell they all wanted to be the loudest, if they want to focus on themselves without the consideration of the entire group, it doesn't sound good. It just doesn't sound good. Or if they're unwilling to play their part and sing their role, that doesn't sound good either. It sounds like something's missing. But when they consider others and lay aside the interests 
their own interests, it can sound great. Sounds like a harmony. All the parts working together. And in a similar way, the church is called to live in harmony and humility with one another. And what what does this look like here at Pleasant Ridge? Well, we we display a Christ-like mindedness in our mission. Right? I say it every week. You probably get tired of hearing it. I say it every week in the announcements. Right? We exist as a church to know Christ and to make him known. Our heart's desire and prayer is that you would come to know him as a result of being with us. I say it every week. That's intentional. All right? What happens? It just becomes part of who we are. But just, well, what's our mission? I was asking a group of high schoolers, what's our mission at Pleasant Ridge? Well, to know Christ and to make him known. That's why we exist. Yes. Yes, that's right. That's right. And so we're united on our mission. We're, we're united in our values and what we believe and what we devote ourselves to. We recognize that th- this is what it looks like to, to, uh, to have a unity of mind. It's not that everyone does the same job or the same task. Right? But w- within a local church, we have different roles, different gifts that the Lord has given us, different responsibilities in order to help us carry out the mission of knowing Christ and making him known. And, and with these various roles, it shows that we all have a part to play in making disciples. And we do so as we display humility toward one another, as we think about the interests of others above ourselves. Okay, so harmony, unity, and humility. And then we also see here the the second and fourth one, we see that we're to be characterized by sympathy and a tender heart, which means that they were to show a genuine concern for the needs and sorrows of those who were experiencing pain and suffering. Right? Which might include observing things from their perspective. Right? When we hear about someone going through a tragedy or some difficulty, do we weep with those who weep? Do we mourn with those who mourn, right? So there's this element of having sympathy, taking on these various things. And that means, right, considering them, considering what they're going through, right? Sometimes the person that's focused only on themselves and their needs and wants is blinded to the reality of another person's needs and wants, especially those who are suffering and hurting We're called to be filled with compassion for the hurting. We're to weep with those who weep, and we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. And above all, we are to display brotherly love. This is the third one. This is the last one. It again reminds the church then that this, this is the family of God. We display brotherly love. It's a family. And we are to treat one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Brotherly love means that we have a genuine concern and interest in the welfare of another. Love, as we know, involves self-sacrifice. It involves a willingness to lay aside our interests for the benefit of someone else, specifically in this case, a brother or sister. So these were the traits that were to be evident in the life of the church as they relate to one another. And I'm thankful that I see this. I get to see this with you and with this congregation, as you bear witness to the life that God has given us in Christ, as you relate to one another. And it's also neat, I've noticed, it's also neat to see how you relate to one another outside of these church walls. It's not just, 
All right, we put on a happy face when we're in here. We care about each other in here. But I'm, what I'm noticing as well is that you have a genuine love and concern outside of these walls. I was actually thinking about this last night at the various graduation parties that I attended. It reminded me that we are a family, right? We are, we're a family. We are, we are brothers and sisters, and we enjoy spending time together, laughing. There was a lot of laughing last night, probably at my expense. Laughing, weeping, serving, right? Served, caring, helping one another. This is truly a blessing from God. So let's continue to encourage one another in our relationships. Second, our response to mistreatment. We see our, our response to mistreatment. So if we're to respond with love, right, and a concern and well-being for our brothers and sisters in Christ, if we're to respond in this way, and we're to focus on our commitment to one another and be united with one another, how are we to respond if we're not encouraged, if we're mistreated? How are we to respond when we experience harm and there isn't mutual edification? Notice verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. So we are to respond the way our Savior responded to his mistreatment. We are to follow Christ's example as he laid out in chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. Look back with me there, 2, 22 through 24. Here's Christ's example. We are to trace his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but in continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Perhaps Peter's also calling to mind what Jesus told the disciples back in, in Luke. But I, say to you, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. The Apostle Paul said something similar in Romans 12. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So rather than repaying evil for evil or reviling for reviling, Peter is calling us to bless others. We are to do good to others instead of retaliating against those who mistreat us. That's our tendency. Instead of defending our honor, right? What, we, what do we want to do? We want to defend our honor. We want to defend our reputation Instead, what are we to do? We're to bless. Let's think about what that word to bless, what that word bless means. It would have involved speaking favorably, speaking well of someone. 
it would have involved, even more significantly, I think, than that, it would have involved seeking God's favor upon that person. Now think about this. Think about this for a moment. It's not that we're just to be silent or avoid at all costs those who mistreat us, although there are certain situations which we need to avoid at all costs those who mistreat us. It's not just that we're not to retaliate. We're actually to seek their good. We are calling upon God, pour out your blessing upon that person who is mistreating me. This seems completely contrary to our tendency, to my sinful tendency. When we're mistreated or harmed, we want to treat them in the way they're treating us, don't we? We want to take Jesus' words and say this. We wish he said this. Do to others as they've done to you. Do to others as they've done to you. Instead, what did Jesus say? Whatever you wish others would do to you, do to them. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And that would be to bless them, as Peter calls us to do here. I found this illustration this week in regard to a practical application of this. So what what does this look like? Here's what this commentator said. When I asked students in one class, uh, in class one day, to come up with a specific practical example of how someone might bless an adversary, the story was shared of a Christian soldier living with his unit. Each evening, he would read his Bible and pray before retiring. He was reviled and insulted by the soldier across the aisle. One night, a pair of muddy combat boots came flying at the Christian. The next morning, the hostile soldier found his boots at the foot of his bed, cleaned and polished and ready for inspection. Several soldiers eventually became Christians as a result of the man who could return blessing for insult. Isn't that remarkable? Perhaps you're in a similar situation. I don't know. In what ways can you personally bless the person who's mistreating you? Because when we do this, it might result, just like that illustration, it might result in the blessing of God upon that person. When we conduct ourselves in this way, it might result in their salvation. That seems to be what Peter's point has been throughout this entire section. But even if it doesn't, even if we never see the fruit of our labor, as Christians, we are called to bless that we might obtain a blessing. Even if they never reciprocate, Okay, think of a situation maybe in your life, you know what, they're never going to reciprocate. We are still to bless. 
We are still to seek God's favor upon the person who reviles us and is hostile toward us. We might, we might not be able to control what they say and do to us, but we can control how we respond to them. And when we respond in a Christ-like way, it will result in obtaining a blessing from God, which can motivate us then to continue to bless others. And this leads me to my final point. Our reward for righteous conduct. Our reward for righteous conduct. Look, look with me now at verses 10 through 12. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So in these, in these final three verses, Peter is quoting Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16, to provide a reason for their call to bless those who mistreat them. And it also serves as a, as a motivation for this righteous conduct in the face of opposition. So let me give you the context of Psalm 34. I want you to see the parallels here. Peter has already quoted Psalm 34. He quoted Psalm 34, 8, in, in, back in chapter 2, verse 3, regarding tasting that the Lord is good. There was an allusion to Psalm 34, verse 5, also, in, in looking to the Lord, right, as you come to him, as you're looking to the Lord and not being put to shame. So, so, Peter sees Psalm, this psalm, Psalm 34, he sees correspondence to the situation that his audience is in. And so what does he do? He quotes it again. It's like he's got Psalm 34. He's just rolling that through his mind as he, as he writes this letter. So here's the context. In Psalm 34, and see if you can see the parallels. David has already been anointed the new king in Israel. But Saul is still on the throne. David's fame had begun to spread. We saw that beginning even with David and Goliath. David's fame is spreading. And Saul is jealous and now seeking to kill David. David has now fled to the Philistines. Right? He's now sojourning, sojourning in a foreign land. He's in hiding because Saul, an unjust ruler, is seeking to kill and destroy a righteous servant of God. So David is experiencing danger from all sides. Whether it was Saul or Achish, back in, uh, the king of Gath, back in 1 Samuel 21. This is the context for, for which this is found. David is afraid. He, he's, he's fleeing. He's got danger from all sides, and he is, he's afraid. He's suffering as an exile in a foreign land. Sounds like the situation the early Christians were in. Sounds like our situation as well. But his hope was ultimately in God. And he continually seeks the Lord in the face of opposition. He doesn't respond with evil toward those who are opposed to him. In fact, after the instance that's in, of this psalm, there's an account in 1 Samuel 24 which describes David responding to Saul's threats and his pursuit. So, so Saul is seeking after David. He wants to kill him. 
Here's how David responded. 1 Samuel 24. David's sojourning. He's hiding in the caves. Saul's seeking to kill him. David has an opportunity to kill him. What does David do? He arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And then David replied, right? Here, this guy wants to kill him. I'm just going to cut off his robe. David replied, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him. After Saul finds out about this, what David has done in sparing his life, evident in the, 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 the robe, the corner of the robe, here's what Saul says to David. You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I repaid you evil. Right? Saul's saying this to David. So, May the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. Remarkable. That's David's response as he's trusting in the Lord in the face of opposition, in the face of his suffering. So in this psalm then, what you see is this call to worship in in verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my lips. He finds a reason to praise God in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his sojourning, in the midst of a foreign land, which is what we are in. And then in the passage that Peter quotes, David calls upon the children of Israel to listen to his instruction as he teaches them the fear of the Lord. It's remarkable. David calls them, so I'm going to teach you the fear of the Lord, children of Israel. And here's what he does. He calls them to a lifestyle that would experience the blessings of God now and in the future. And ultimately, it ended in David's deliverance. He's delivered from his enemies. You see, our future with God is connected to how we live our lives right now. Last week we saw that our relationship to God was connected to our relationship with one another, right? In, In the marriage relationship. Our prayers were hindered. Here's what we saw last week. Our prayers were hindered if there was sin within our relationship. Now our future with God is connected to how we live in relationship towards others, especially those who mistreat us. And Peter's picking up on this to motivate the church to righteous conduct and to remind them of the reward and blessing that comes to those in Christ as a result of displaying his Christ-likeness, Christ-like conduct. Verse 10, we see it back in 1 Peter. Verse 10, For whoever desires to love life and see good days... The one who wants to find enjoyment in life and see good days, the one who wants contentment in life, no matter the circumstances, must live a certain way. What must he do? Let him keep his tongue from evil 
and his lips from speaking deceit. And then in verse 11, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Why? Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. And then there's a warning of judgment. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So if we desire enjoyment in life and good days, if we desire the eyes of the Lord to be upon us and his ears open to our prayers, then the life that we should live should be one that displays righteous conduct because it reveals that we are in a right relationship with God. And God will ultimately reward us with final salvation and deliverance just as he did with his righteous servant, David. David's actions revealed what was in his heart. They revealed his relationship with God. And we give evidence that we truly believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose again by the way we live. We give evidence by the way we live as we bless others. Like I said from the beginning, a tree is known and recognized by its fruit. And as a result, we experience the blessings of God. But for those who are characterized by evil, the face of the Lord is against them. And this should serve us to, it should serve to motivate us to turn away from evil, to do good to those who seek to harm us, to actively seek peace and pursue it. And so as we conclude, that's what I want us to do. I want us, as believers in Christ, to love one another, to care for one another, to be united in our mission of knowing Christ and making him known. And let's make Christ known by blessing others so that the blessing of God might come upon them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we recognize how much we are dependent upon you We recognize how often we fail in this way to bless others. Our tendency is to wander, even to wander from you. And so we do pray that your spirit would work in and among us this week especially, that we would be called to bless because we know the benefits of it that it would reveal what is truly in our hearts. Would you enable us to not speak evil, but to do good, to seek peace and pursue it. And we are so thankful for the blessings that you have poured out upon us in Christ. And might those blessings overflow to meet the needs of others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.